this morning. <clears throat> you know, when you go to the doctor for a checkup, uh, because I'm in the I'm in the VA system, they make me at least once a year go through and get a, a physical and everything, which I appreciate. But what what do, what do they do? They they run blood work. Uh, they make you stand on that nasty thing called a scale. And uh, well, that, hey, does that help? <laughs> um, you know, they they put that thing on your arm, uh, 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 blood pressure, and then they you know they check your pulse and all that stuff. And uh, you know, undoubtedly, they make you sit, and then they hit you in the knee, and your knee, your leg goes, you know, boom. Um, you, you know what 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 are they doing? They're 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 trying to get an overall view of your health, right? Uh, they're not necessarily looking at anything specific, but they're 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 trying to get an overall view of your general health. That that's what a that's what a, a, a checkup is is all about. <clears throat> Last week we started talking about the characteristics of a healthy church, and that's kind of what we're doing. We're just uh, from the Bible, we're taking the Bible perspective of what a healthy church should look like, and we're checking the blood pressure, and we're running blood work, and we're doing all the things to to see if Grace Baptist Church is a healthy church. But as as we do that, we are simultaneously checking our own health, are we not? Because we are all part of the church. And <clears throat> if one part of the body is hurting... What part of the body does it affect the whole body? Yes, yes. Absolutely, it does. Uh, Paul oftentimes in the, in the New Testament likens the church to our physical bodies, and the reason for that is there's a lot of similarities. When when one of the body, one of the members of of the body is hurting, it should hurt all of us because that's how that's how that's how the uh, the Lord uh, instituted the New Testament church as a body. And that, ha- that is exactly how we should operate and, and love and care for each other. So as we look at this, the characteristics of a healthy church, we should not only be examining the health of the church, but we should be examining our own health as well. <clears throat> so... But what happens if you go to the emergency room <clears throat> clenching your chest, doing like this? What do you think they're going to do when you walk into the emergency room? You think they're going to say, oh, here, stand on this scale, and we're going to see how much you weigh. And then we're going to check your blood pressure. We're going to hit you in the knee. And you think they're going to do a overall physical no. What are they going to do? <clears throat> They're going to go right, right for, right for the problem. Okay. Now, <clears throat> question. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> okay. Question. Is well. Let, let me say this. I, 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 I had heard this, and I, I was pretty confident in it, but I wanted to make sure, so I. I checked on symptoms of a heart attack. 
uh, they can be uh, chest pain, which is the most common, um, shortness of breath, nausea and vomiting, um, back pain. I didn't know this one, but jaw pain. And uh, the other night, uh, I had a I had a migraine, <clears throat> and it had moved down into my jaw. And I'm thinking, and I'm I'm laying in bed thinking, man, I wonder if I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> Just that's how the brain works, you know. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but so so what 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 does a what does a doctor do if you walk into an emergency room with a well, let's just we'll say with a back pain, a severe upper back pain. Are they are they just gonna uh, uh, say you know what here t- take take some muscle relaxers and and come back uh, see your your regular doctor sometime next week? Is 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 that what he is that what a doctor an emergency room doctor should do? <laughs> okay. Important word should, okay? Why? Why is that? Because they recognize that symptoms and causes are two different things, okay? <clears throat> now, again, I'm not a doctor, not by any stretch of the imagination. But if I'm having chest pain or back pain or jaw pain or, you know, whatever, And I go to the emergency room, and they start banging my knee, <clears throat> and you know, checking, checking to see, you know, I, I'm going to get nervous. Why is that? Because they're not paying attention to to the to the problem. See, back pain or chest pain or whatever the the the, the symptom is is a symptom. It is a it is it is your body yelling out saying my heart has a problem and it is manifesting itself in symptoms you follow me <clears throat> many many of you know uh, a very dear friend of mine uh, used to pastor a church down in Carson City named uh, Mike Ranspot uh, he was a very, very, very dear friend of mine. In fact, I, I miss him even today. He's been gone for eight years, nine years, nine years. <clears throat> and I, I still miss him. There are days I, I, I wish I could talk to him. But he, he pastored down in Carson City, and he went to the doctor one day. And if you knew uh, Pastor Ranspot, he was a big guy. Didn't Never went to the doctor. He's one of those guys that never went to the doctor. <clears throat> but he, he was in pain. He went, ended up going to the doctor, and the doctor diagnosed him with uh, shingles. And they gave, him, they gave him some medicine, sent him home, and uh, he, actually, he actually did you know, pretty good. And about two weeks later, the, the pain came back even worse. And after further examination, it was pancreatic cancer. And it was literally coming out in the form of shingles. That's what it looked like. But it was the cancer literally coming out of his body. What, 40 days later, he was with the Lord. And, you know, the, the, the problem is we 
oftentimes in our lives. And this is one of the reasons why I believe Paul likens the, the local church to a body. Is because oftentimes when there's a, there's a problem within the church, what do we do? We deal with the symptom and not the problem. Oftentimes in our lives, we do the exact same thing. We deal with the symptoms and not the problem. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I have, over the past 12 years, I have had many people say to me, <clears throat> and I, actually, I have actually felt this way in the past as well. But they have said to me, Pastor, I, I feel like God is a million miles away. Now, <clears throat> question, is that a symptom or the problem? It's a symptom. And we, but, but what do we do? We say, wow, well, I feel like God is a million miles away. And so we ask the question, where did God go? And the, the, the problem is God went nowhere. See, the problem is, the problem is our hearts. That's the problem. And it is when we drift away from him that he feels far away. And the, Amen. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means God is not the one who moves. He's always there. And the problem is, in the life of our church and in the life of each and every one of us, we need to look beyond the symptom and get to the cause. Because it's the heart of men. It's our indifference. It is our cold hearts to a loving God that is the problem. God has gone nowhere. So <clears throat> let's read Acts chapter 2 in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added to, uh, excuse me, added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayer. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, and fear came unto every soul, and many wondered, uh, wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them unto all men 
as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work and and the patience that you show uh, us. And uh, great is thy faithfulness to a people that do not deserve it. Lord, help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week we talked about four characteristics of uh, uh, a healthy church. We have six to go. We're going to look at three this morning. We're going to look at three next week. Uh, But last week we we looked at the fact that a healthy church uh, is a church that proclaims truth, is soul conscious, uh, is a church that disciples new believers, and a church of fellowship. And um, those of you that were here early this morning uh, got to experience some fellowship, and what a joy that is. I, I, I always, always enjoy being around other believers. It is something uh, <clears throat> that I look forward to uh, every week. I just love being around fellow believers. This morning we're going to look at three more. Uh, so number five, number five in our list is worship. We see this in verse 42. <clears throat> and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine uh, and fellowship and in the breaking of bread. <clears throat> now, it's important you understand that the breaking of bread here is not referring to uh, an extension, if you would, of fellowship. It's not, you know, uh, talking about sitting down and having a meal, okay? Uh, this idea of breaking of bread is, is a direct reference to the fact that they were partaking in what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. Some people call it communion, some the Lord's Supper. doesn't matter, same thing. So, <clears throat> This church, this New Testament church, they were uh, 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 steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and of breaking of bread, or worship. Now, one of the most precious and wonderful times that we have as believers is when we have opportunity to gather around the Lord's table. There's uh, those of you who are saved and... and, um, understand worship, this is one of the greatest opportunities that we have to worship the Lord. Those of you that have been at Grace uh, for a long time know this, but I want to share this because I I feel like it's important. We we at Grace Baptist Church do not do the Lord's Supper very often, maybe two or three times a year. Uh, And the reason for that is, is, is multiple um, one is we don't want it to become a religious exercise. Uh, I, I've been a part of churches that have done it uh, because, um, well, that's we just do it once a month, or we we do it every whenever we have a fifth Sunday, or you know we do it you know, and they have this ritual 
that they do it. And it, 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 my understanding is it loses something when it becomes a religious exercise. Another thing that we do typically, not always, but usually, is we, we, we try to focus the entire service around the Lord's Supper. It's not something that we tack on at the end of it because of the importance of the Lord's Supper. So we, we, we focus on the Lord's Supper. We always want it to be a time of worship. Something that, in fact, if you go back and you, and you read the account in the New Testament, uh, <clears throat> the Bible says very clearly that you should not do it flippantly. That it's something that you should, it should, you should take it very serious because it is worship. It is a form of worship. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for the church. And the least that the church could do is worship him. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 to 27, it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present himself a glorious church, uh, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ should be preeminent in everything that Grace Baptist Church does. Let me say that again. Christ should be preeminent in everything that Grace Baptist Church does. Okay, I, I need to say it again. Christ needs to be preeminent in everything that Grace Baptist Church does. Amen. Amen. It, it, he has to be. Because if he's not preeminent in everything that we do, then we are not worshiping him. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be th uh, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the church, or excuse me, the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is, in all things he might have the preeminence. Why does Christ deserve the preeminence, especially in a New Testament local church? We just read it. He created everything. And he, he, all things consist because of him. And without him, we would be nothing. And because of that, he deserves our worship. Now, I want to be, I want to be very careful here because the Lord's Supper is not the only form of worship. 
it is in, in, in this particular passage, it is <clears throat> very symbolic of worship. But I want, I want to talk about worship here for, for just a minute. Because I believe that in many churches today, there, there is, a, there, there is a, a huge mistake taking place in a lot of churches today. And please understand this, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to single out or pick on any church. That, that's not my goal here. That, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get you to understand what worship is. But many churches today in our, in our country and our, our world today have what they call praise and worship teams. And, and I, I don't care if they have praise and worship teams. I wish they wouldn't call them that because it gives the illusion that praise and worship only happens when they're singing. Because praise and worship teams are the, the music people. They, 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 they engage the congregation in music and so on and so forth, which is fine. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. But I wish they wouldn't call them that because worship is far more than that. Praise is far more than that. And when you call it that, then it, it limits the, the average person sitting there thinking, okay, the rest of the church service is not worship. Only this part is worship. When in reality, it's all worship. And we, do, we are doing believers a disservice by, by narrowing down worship to the song service. So what is what is worship? I want to I want to help because because worship and praise is far far more than that. Is it the music? It includes that absolutely. Absolutely, it includes the music. What about what about what I'm doing right now, proclaiming truth or preaching? Is that part of worship? Absolutely. Now, I'm going to make some people mad here, okay? Sorry. But you know what? Giving is part of worship. When we, when we have opportunity to give to God. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to say this. In 1 Corinthians, I should have looked it up. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, in reference to a church, he says that they gave beyond their ability to give monetarily. Then he says, but they gave of themselves first. So what, what is giving? Is, it, is, it, is giving limited to the almighty dollar? Absolutely not. If you understand stewardship, the almighty dollar is only a small part of what real giving is all about. Because the primary thing that God wants you to give is your heart. See, it's all part of worship. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And a story that some of you probably are very familiar with, Cain and Abel. What was the whole fight about? One wanted to worship God by giving <clears throat> what he produced, and the other wanted to worship God by giving what God required. 
And the whole fight between Cain and Abel was over how to worship God. That's what it was about. One wanted to worship God his way, and one wanted to worship God God's way. And that's where the conflict came in. So worship of giving goes all the way back to that. What about prayer? And we're going we're gonna to talk about prayer here in a minute, but is prayer worship? Absolutely it is. What about greeting one another and fellowship? Is it part of worship? Absolutely it is. See, the, 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 the New Testament church that God instituted is supposed to be Christ-centered, making Christ preeminent in everything that the New Testament church does. And when we do that, then the church then becomes a Christ-centered church. Or, if you like Latin, a Christocentric church. I love that word, Christocentric. I, it just That's a cool We try really hard. And we're not always successful, but we try really hard at Grace Baptist Church to do everything at this church centered around Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25 says, And thus are the secrets of, the, of, of his heart made manifest. And so falling down to his face, he worshiped God and reported, or excuse me, and report that God is in you of a truth. See, the first century church knew how to worship God. Number six in our list. And this one I could spend an entire sermon on, but I'm, I'm not. <clears throat> Prayer. Prayer. Let's go back to verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. I came across a quote many, many years ago. I have no idea who where this quote was generated from, but I, 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 I love it because it's simple and it's incredibly accurate. True worship is something that is prayed down, not worked up. Think about that. Let that kind of sink in. True worship is something <clears throat> that is prayed down, not worked up. Occasionally, not very often, occasionally I will have somebody tell me, you know, especially out in the community when they find I'm a, I'm a pastor, and they'll say to me, well, I don't go to church. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I, I needed to know that, you know. And But they'll occasionally somebody will say something like this. They'll say, you know, I don't go to church because I don't believe in corporate prayer. I believe my prayers are my business, and... And I don't believe we should be praying to out loud in front of each other. And I just say, 
okay, what do you want me to do? I, you know, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to absolve it. I don't, you know, I'm just, but you know, the reality is what's happening in the New Testament church here. They are gathering together in fellowship, in worship, and they are praying together. Now, I don't know for a fact, but I'm assuming that they're praying out loud with each other. That's what we call corporate prayer. When we pray as a group together. Now let me say this. Because... Well, let me say this. Shallow, showy prayer is worthless. Shallow, showy prayer is nothing more than just shallow, shallow. Just, it's empty. It's just worthless. Years ago, when I, was, when I first started going to church, I remember two two events that took place. I've talked about the first one several times, so some of you have heard this before, but right after I was saved, <clears throat> I, I remember being in church, maybe for the second or third time in my life ever going to church. And the pastor asked a, a, a man, a young man about my age, he was probably in his early 20s at the time, he said, hey, would you stand up and close our service in prayer? And this, this guy stood up in a church of about 200, 250 people, and he prayed the most eloquent prayer. I mean, words I'd never heard before. And he even, he even used the thous and the these and the, you know, the King James language. Crazy nut. Uh, and and, and I, I remember sitting there as a young believer thinking, I can't do that. There's, I can't, I can't, I can't pray like that. And I remember not praying for a long time because I, I said to myself, I can't pray like that. The other thing that happened in my life, probably around the same time, was <clears throat> the church that I attended had the same four guys took the offering every week. And it seemed like, how many of you know what been churches like this, okay? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so the same four guys. So, And it seemed like about every other week, the pastor would look down and say, hey, Larry, will you pray for the offering? And every week that he prayed, he prayed the exact same prayer. Oh, Lord, bless them that don't have the funds in which to give. Amen. And after about six times, what do you think I thought? What, what, that's not praying. But at the time, I was a young believer. I'm like, wow, that... I. That's empty. That, that, that's worthless prayer. And I, I didn't, nobody had to tell me that. I just knew it. 
See, Jesus gives us an example of prayer in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The, the, the publican here is a is is a uh, a Jew, but is a uh, is a employee of the Roman government. Okay, he's still Jewish, so he can go to the temple, but he's he is despised by the other Jews. Okay, in fact, not only is he despised, he's hated by the other Jews because he works for the Roman government. So. Uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extorters, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Well, that's a slap in the face. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing far off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon him his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What kind of prayer is God looking for in your life? Heartfelt. Heartfelt. He, want, he wants it to come from right here. And I have had people say, Pastor, whatever you do, do not ever call on me to pray in public. I can't do it. But I'll tell you what, there was one guy who told me that. I'm just being honest. I won't tell you who it is. And he told me that, and I said, "Okay, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm okay. I understand people are shy, and you know, and I forgot. <laughs> Guess what I did? I called on him, and he, and I'll tell you what, he prayed one of the most precious prayers I've ever heard in my life because it came from here." That's, God, that's, that's what God wants. Ian Bounds wrote this. <clears throat> what the church needs today is not <clears throat> more machinery or better machinery, but <clears throat> not new organization or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, Men mighty in prayer. Amen. That's what that's what our world needs. Yes. We need people who are willing to pray. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but every Sunday morning, ten o'clock, where's Bob? There he is. Ten o'clock? Oh, nine thirty now. Okay. Nine thirty. Every Sunday morning, 9.30, just on the other side of this wall, is our new conference room. Let's fill it up. This morning there were three, three, three people in there praying. I would love to see 15 or 20 people in there. Yeah. 
Now you know. What what is gonna what is gonna energize Grace Baptist Church? Prayer. It's gonna be prayer. It's not gonna be fancy preaching because if you're expecting me to be a fancy preacher, it ain't happening. It just you know that's good Southern lingo there, baby. It ain't happening. But it's prayer of godly men and women that are going to turn the hearts. Wednesday night, we get together on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We are done by 8.15. Those of you that got kids, I I understand that. By 8.15, we're we're walking out the door at 8.15, I promise you, every week. But that's how we pray for each other. That's how we know the needs and that we can share our burdens. Prayer is so important. <clears throat> Number seven, and we'll be done very quickly here. Let me let me go through this very quickly. We see in verse 43. And the fear came unto every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Number seven, holiness. Holiness. The church here is a church that feared God. Fear does not mean to be scared of, but to reverence or to respect. The people in this church had seen God do miraculous things. And because of that, because of that they, they stood in awe or respect of God. Paul Chapel wrote this, holiness in the church is still vital today. For there <clears throat> for there is no fear of God where there is no holiness. I have had people say to me on numerous occasions Holiness is unattainable. Really? Now I want you to think. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pick on anybody here, but I want you to think about this. Do you believe that? That holiness is unattainable. First Peter chapter one, and verses thirteen to sixteen says this he says wherefore gird up your loins the, the uh, gird up the loins of your mind be sober and hope to the end for the grace <clears throat> that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust uh, in in your ignorance but as he which hath called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now I'm here to tell you, number one, God has never and will never command us to do something we cannot do. Period. 
but there's a there's there's something that we miss in this passage that I just read. In this passage, there are two commands, not just one. There are two. The first command is to be hopeful. Can we be hopeful? Absolutely we can. Then he says, be holy. Why do you think believers today struggle with the idea of being holy? I don't, I don't personally, I don't, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not God. I don't know for sure. I have an opinion. And I think that the reason why many of us struggle with this idea of being holy is that we think that to be holy is to be perfect. God never tells us to be perfect. Now, we should try, but he does command us to be holy. Can we be holy? I believe we can. Holiness is an attitude of the heart. Let us go back to the beginning when we talked about symptoms versus causes. And I said that there are many times people will say, but pastor, God feels a million miles away. That's the symptom. What's the cause? Is, Is the heart. It's a heart that is not holy. It is a heart that's not worshiping God. It is a heart that has become cold and indifferent. See, holiness is something that is generated right here. As a church, how are we doing? Worship, our prayer lives, our holiness. How are we measuring up as a church? I'm not going to answer that. That's something that we need to, as a church, answer that question. But how are you doing as an individual? What does your worship look like? Now, I don't know what your pattern is, okay? I, I, I don't know how you, how you work your life, but I can tell you how I do. I try to, Saturday night, start to prepare my heart for services on Sunday. I've done, my wife and I have done that for years. I, I try. I'm not always successful, but I, especially as I'm praying, as I'm going to sleep, I'm praying, asking God to do a work in my heart and life. You say, but you're the pastor. You, you know the sermon before you preach it. You know, it's an amazing thing. I, yeah, I know what the sermon is about, but God still oftentimes speaks to my heart through the word. What does your worship look like? Do you get up Sunday morning? Oh, man. Oh, it's Sunday. Is it Sunday? Oh, man. I guess I have to go to church. Come on, be honest. We've all been there, okay? Our, our, our attitude should be, man, I get to go to church. Not that I 
have to go to church? What's your worship look like? What does your prayer life look like? Corporate, personal, doesn't matter. What does it look like? I, I, I pray in my office, sitting in my chair. That's how I pray. My wife prays on, on the treadmill. I think she's a nut, but hey, it works for her. <laughs> you know, I, some people can do that. I, my pastor of 20 years, Pastor Stevens, many of you have met him. Hey, he prayed every morning by going on a walk. I, to me, I can't do this. Too many distractions. I can't, I can't stay focused. I can't do it. Find what works for you and pray. And seek holiness in your life because you can be holy. God has commanded us to do it. We can do it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I am so thankful for all that you do. And Lord, I just ask as we close our services that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, but that you would challenge us in areas of our lives, not in our lives just personally, but in our lives as a church. We need you. And we need Jesus Christ to be the center of everything that we do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I mean, just ask.